welcome to the LARB Radio Hour, brought to you by reader-supported LA Review of Books. I'm your host, Eric Newman, the Gender and Sexuality Editor at LARB. Joining me in the studio today is LARB's Managing Editor, Medea Ocher. Hi, Eric. Today we're talking with Robin Campillo, director of the new movie BPM, or Battement par Minute, alongside the film's lead actors, Nahuel perez Piscayar and Arnaud Valois. BPM is a simultaneously gut-wrenching and beautiful film about a romance between two young HIV-AIDS activists, one of whom is dying of the disease just as their romance is taking off, and it is all set against the heady days of act-up protests and actions in Paris during the 1990s. I have to say, I take it as a personal badge of pride that I only cried twice during this movie, even though it was very much ugly crying. (laughs) Especially at the end, I called my husband, who was glad then that he had not watched the movie and just hysterically sobbing, unable to even make sense on the phone. Yeah, we also texted about it. So I. Oh, yeah, that's <laughs> right. Also... And Dea had warned me about the I fact did. that it was very sad. It's a very, very sad movie. It's also really beautiful. I also cried essentially throughout. It's a fantastic movie. And I think one of the things that it does in a way that I hadn't seen before is combine a sense of the movement in terms of the sort of the banal activities that political movements have to engage in day in and day out, coupled with the kind of exciting action in the streets, throwing of blood-filled balloons, and right. and the sort of combination of that, the boring and the sort of extravagant yeah. um, that political movements always engage in. And then also the sheer pleasure that we see in the movie experienced by the protagonists in their relationship as well as with the group, along with the real devastation of watching your lover die. Yeah, I should say that even as much as the movie made me really sob almost uncontrollably, it did have this incredibly uplifting quality about it also, about the power of love and the power of community in times of real tragedy and crisis. Yeah, same here. And it was interesting also because I think it was a rare instance of seeing real compassion and real very difficult forms of empathy and acknowledgement that we rarely see on screen. Which is also why I was excited that we had the actors in the studio today, because they both did a phenomenal job. They did. And also, I was really starstruck. And also, they're very cute. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, if you didn't need any more advertisement for this show than that, let's go right to that conversation. Let's do it. We're thrilled to have director Robin Campillo with us in the studio today. Campillo is a Moroccan-born French director, editor, and screenwriter. He is well-known for films including Time Out and Eastern Boys. His 2008 film, The Class, was nominated for a Best Foreign Language Oscar. His newest film, BPM, Battement par Minute, explores a unique romance between members of ACT UP activists in Paris during the height of the AIDS crisis in the early 1990s. BPM has already won several awards, including the Grand Jury Prize and the Queer Palm. It has also been nominated for the Palme d'Or Prize at the Cannes Film Festival. The film was released in Los Angeles on October 20th and will be opening in theaters nationwide in November. We are also excited to be joined today by BPM's two lead actors. Nahuel Perez Piscayar is an Argentina actor and director who plays the role of Sean, a charismatic young man dying of AIDS who falls in love with a fellow activist against the backdrop of the ACT UP movement in Paris. Piscayar has appeared in a number of films, 
including Aura, Glue, and a charming 2014 film that I particularly enjoyed, Je Suis à Toi, All Yours, in which he starred alongside Jean-Mi Balthazar and the always lovely Monia Chokri. Arnaud Valois is a French actor who plays Sean's lover, a young man haunted and inextricably bound to loss. Valois also appeared in films including Charlie Says, Cliente, and Girl on the Train. Welcome all three of you to the show. Thank you for Thank you very us. much. So, Robin, can you start by just telling us a little bit about the kind of the historical moment the film explores and kind of ACT UP activism in 1990s Paris? Yes, it was. In fact, I joined ACT UP Paris myself in 92. Okay. I was a basic militant. ACT UP was created two years after ACT UP New York, ACT UP Paris, I mean. And so it was like just after when I joined the group, it was 10 years after the beginning of the, the epidemic in France. And it was we were I was really angry and we were very angry, all of us, because it was during these 10 years, it seemed that, you know, gay people were shown at the people who, are, who were going to die a mm-hmm. lot of this epidemic. But there was no political information and, you know, the governmental information towards gays and uh, the people and all the people who were very touched by the epidemic. I mean, uh, prisoners, prostitutes and IV drug users. So people knew that we were going to die, but there was this kind of indifference and we were dying on our own, uh, in a, you know, we didn't speak about that. And for instance, I knew that a former boyfriend was in hospital, but I was not able to visit him because of his parents. So it was right. a very hard time. And, you know, I was very young at the time, of course, because in 82, when it started, I was 20 years old. And so after these 10 years of epidemic, I was really angry and I, uh, we were tired to be the nice, you know, gays victim of the epidemic. And we, ch- we tried to become a little bit more like the evil fags and the horrible, you know, the outcast uh, dykes, you know. To, right, they're to, not playing to, nice to, anymore. To answer, yeah. to enter a little bit this climate of indifference. And so we tried to talk to the public, to the, the, the other citizens, and we try, we try to make the politicians to take their responsibility for this epidemic. So that's why, you know, it was the first time I came to act, the first meeting, I thought it was really funny. It was, it, it, that was a why? kind of jubilation. I even asked myself, myself where, where is the disease? Because it seemed that, you know, people were so happy and to be together because it was we were not on our own anymore. So mm-hmm. that was very powerful. And there was a kind of strong energy, you know. But at the same time, I realized after that people were were dying, you know. Right. And yeah. so that why I did this film, uh, I think that was very important to me. I'm very interested in the way that you, stu- especially given your own history with the activist group ACT UP. Oui. One of the things I find particularly successful and interesting about the film is that it opens basically with an activation section, right? Where they're explaining their new recruits to the movement. Mm. And it's like, okay, this is what you're going to see. This is how we run meetings. Mm. So you actually almost make the viewer feel like they're being activated, right? That they're yeah. being like brought into the movement. So can you talk a little bit about that as like a framing? Because you get really into the nitty-gritty also which yes, I love but I, I think that I wanted the spectator to be uh, like a newcomer mm-hmm. like uh, Nathan is a newcomer in the film so it's like the film is, is seen above his shoulder I don't know how to say that you know in, in, the, in his point of view but the point of view is the point of view of the newcomer so for the spectator it's easier to get into the group mm-hmm. and what I liked in this group you had this guy who were introducing the group who, who was welcoming you in the group and he was talking about 
the rules of the group and it seemed so very well, you know, um, organized. organized. But after you were entering this meeting, and I didn't understand a word of what people were saying. I was totally lost because I didn't know anyone and I didn't know who was who. I, so right, I, right. I wanted the spectator to feel that because most of the time in cinema, in film, you know, the directors try to take the spectator by the end to explain everything. Mm -hmm. But I wanted the opposite thing. I wanted the spectator to lose himself and to, after a moment, realize who is important in the group, which are the protagonists. And that's, for me, more interesting as a position for the spectator to be lost in the flow. You described yourself as a basic militant yeah. in the group. And so what does that mean? What did you do as, what were your personal activities as a sort of militant in that group? I was all the time in act up. You know, that's very strange. And that's why I did this film like it is, because I don't remember what was my life outside act up at the time. I had a life, but it's not connected with my militant time, you know, mm -hmm. and I wanted to recreate that. And I was, when I said I was a basic militant, I did quite all the actions than you see in the film. And I was in every meeting. And you know, it was so powerful for us, for a young guy like me, because even after four hours of meeting, we were going to have dinner together because we couldn't leave each other. That mm -hmm. was so mm -hmm. important to us. So I was part of, all, of the, the action. And I was part also, I tried to be in the medical commission, you know, and I worked on the tuberculosis as a specialist, but I was not that good. Uh, <laughs> on this. So I did a few things, but you know, I was not popular because, you know, in Acta Paris, people, girls and boys, we were kissing on the lips. You know, mm -hmm. it's, it was a way of saying good, very French way to say it hello. Is, yeah. But because of tuberculosis, I thought that it was not <laughs> a good idea. We should end this <laughs> <laughs> thing. And so I was not popular because of that. So I stopped talking about tuberculosis uh -huh. <laughs> after a moment, <laughs> after two years, you know. <laughs> yeah, probably if you're the tuberculosis person in the group, you're not going to be that popular. No, of course. Yeah, that's, that's not a fun subject. Well, that actually brings up something that I think is really interesting interesting throughout the movie, which is the importance of intimacy and particularly touch in moments of fear and extreme crisis. Yeah. There's a, an incredibly moving scene, which is also a rather familiar scene in terms of kind of like films about HIV AIDS from a queer perspective, which yeah. is the kind of like the Sarah converted partner and his Sarah negative partner kind of having sex and like what that means to both of them. So can you also talk in a sense about like the importance of intimacy and touch both in your own experience with ACT UP and what you tried to communicate about that in the film? You have to think that at the time there was so much stigmata. And fear and, and fear lack of knowledge. HIV yeah. positive people. There was a need of touching each other. And, you know, because mm -hmm. now I'm a little bit older, <laughs> I would say, that's something, you know, for, I lost my first lover, as Nathan in the film is talking about his former lover, and that's exactly what I went through during the 80s. And when I think of my first lover, of course I think of the moment we are talking, but what I miss the most is his body. And, mm -hmm. yeah. and I miss the smell of 
him. I miss the touching his skin. All mm -hmm. those things were very important to us because we were losing that. We were losing this intimacy. And so I remember that there was something in ACT UP like we were taking care of each other all the time, you know, but with touch. And, you know, there's this scene at the end of the film when the two characters, Sean and Nathan, have sex in the hospital. That was happening a lot because, you know, when... It's always something what it was very important when someone was getting sick and sick. You know, there was always a time the couple was stopping having sex. And yeah. so it was a big thing because it was all about our bodies. That's what it was a struggle and not a cause. You know, a struggle yeah. is when your body is at stake. You know, it's like the women for abortion and or the, the right of abortion, all those things. It's right. connected to the body. And so that was something. And it's not only during the sex scene, the sensuality was all over the group, mm -hmm. quite all the time, you know, even between lesbians and gays and right, gay men. Right. That was very strong all the time because we needed to touch each other all the time. And as I say, to kiss each other on the lips, which is yeah. not very natural, you know, but it's it was a very strong concern. It was a, a cultural thing inside ACT UP, I think. And a radical act of care. Right, to yeah. the people that were affected. So how was it for you, if you had lost your lover as a young man, how was it for you to sort of reenact this scene and this relationship in this film? It's, uh, uh, how can I say, you know, I, I probably did this film when I could do it, mm -hmm. that I waited to have the right distance with that. You know, when I'm talking about, for instance, my fear at the time, I don't remember, I don't feel it, doesn't it feel anymore. Immediate, I, yeah. I have to be honest like this, about this. So I try to to remember, I mean, when I was writing the script, I was getting very emotional. That mm -hmm. was very hard to do because, you know, the film is all about my memories. It's not a documentary film. It's not mm -hmm. a docudrama. It's really taking all these memories and trying to create a perspective, which is a fiction uh, with that. And uh, that was, but sometimes, for instance, when they have sex at the hospital, because I forgot to say that before, I realized that I'd, I wanted Nathan to touch him. And you don't know if it's uh, erotic or it's like taking care of him mm -hmm. when he's touching mm -hmm. him. I'm not happy that I couldn't do that for my first boyfriend. You know, so it's mm. kind of realizing things that, that I couldn't do at the time. It's like when I decide to film the river in Paris to put it red. You know, it mm, was a stream right. for of the militants that we were to make this river red because it was central in Paris. It was mm. like mainstream, you know, mm -hmm. in yeah, Paris. So yeah. we wanted to be big and uh, to be obvious. And so that's the same will, I think, between these two desire to create things that we couldn't do, that I couldn't do in my life, you know. Nahuel Narnot, can you talk a little bit about your experience playing these two characters? I mean, because obviously you're not, none of us actually here except for Robin from that time, right? So how did you kind of like put yourself into that moment and into the relationship? Hmm. It was quite an adventure because of course, as you say, we, well, me, I had no idea about ACT UP. So we had a lot of books and documentaries to watch we had access to all the national archives of France so we could okay. see all the French like television. the news yeah sorry the television archives so we could see the news at that time so we saw the actions that those guys were carrying out and then I saw Silver Lake View which is a documentary that's very raw in which you just yeah. see the deterioration of a body touched by AIDS and then the process was very I can say that it was very natural and that's because Robin took a lot of time to cast 
us, um, <laughs> which is not something bad. Like I'm really <laughs> no, I'm really proud of yeah. that. Seriously, I think that when we were auditioning for our parts, I never felt that we were just like trying to fulfill his desire. We were really mm. working to create connections and to see how Sparks could, you know, be produced or not. So okay. it was really like a work of just finding chemistry with each other. Okay. And I think that when you see that a director is that concerned, means that he's really he really wants to make a great film. You know, okay. he's not just like putting faces all together. I mean, we're no stars. Nobody knows, knows us in France. And that's very also powerful, you know, because sometimes you can just run into directors that want, you know, the names, big actors. Sure, da, sure, da, sure. You just make like this kind of recipe and then you just put them on stage, on the set, and then you just film them. In this case, he was really trying to trust us. And mm -hmm. that's why he really needed to try if it worked or not. So I think that there was like this big trust that was built during the auditions and that then during the shooting, that allowed us to be at certain moments alone, surviving mm -hmm. on the set and okay. just trying to be the characters or ourselves or trying to let the characters invade us or the other way around. Right. There was always like this kind of feeling that we were not having control over everything. As the guys at that time, I think, Didn't, right? right? They yeah. were just like in that survival over excitement of just like fighting against death in a very unprepared and non-professional way. They were learning how to do politics. They were learning how to speak out. And we were doing the same. I was doing the same. You know, when you have to just embody those those extreme discourses or those, you know, right. powerful, those tantrums that you throw in. And then, well, there's the second part in the film that was much more intimate. Maybe you want to say something, Arnaud. <laughs> um, yeah, because the beginning was like all about the group and um, being part of the group. So very joyful and we were having beers after the shooting all together and then when the illness really is here in Sean we were just the two of us and maybe you want to talk about this because you well yeah there was a transition towards the second part of the film and we said to each other Robin we said well we should stop acting in the second part of the film right because all the first part of the film is like this kind of creation of life maybe a little bit too much because that's the way that you can just you know keep up and survive just creating energy and just like fighting extremely against the disease and put your word out there in a very you know spectacular way and then the second part of the film is the part in which the character doesn't see any possibility he sees that he's really you know going yeah it's over with the ring yeah. and disappearing and that's the moment in which he loses contact to with reality and he starts to get further and further from the group So we said we should stop acting and just let that absence of that life that he's mm. losing just take over and empty the gaze and just like start more breathing, you know, that absence in the air and also opening up towards the Arnaud's character, uh, Nathan. That's the first time in which the characters start like really loving each other, I would say. Like that makes when we sense, talk about yeah. a love story, we don't we never know if it's a love story or if it's just like those guys they were together and because the sickness strikes, okay, the relationship becomes big. Yeah, love that comes out of leave. an impossible situation. Maybe yeah. they were just lovers, you know. Yeah. If he hadn't been sick, maybe they would have just been lovers for a certain period and then they would have had fun and then that was it. But I think that showing yourself vulnerable and weak is also a way of letting others love you. 
Mm. Uh, mm. So it was like very subtle, like the second part of the film. I can say that I was playing a different character. We were playing a different character. Yeah, and Characters. what about for you, Arnaud? There was less distance I mean, in the second part. I think in the second part, for Nathan, it's really to be on the situation. Because before, 10 years ago, he wasn't there for his first boyfriend. And um, he really wants to, to be here for Sean and... Uh, Maybe he's trying too much sometimes, mm. but it's really something that matters for him. So we were shooting from the beginning till the end, like chronologically. And um, for my character at the beginning, I just had to watch my colleagues and to like be here. And then I'm talking a bit more and then... I'm almost in charge sometimes mm. in the actions, in the couple. So there was like a trajectoire, I don't know the yeah. word. Mm -hmm. A progression. A progression. Trajectory, yeah. 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 Trajectory. You are listening to the LARB Radio Hour, recorded at Emerson College in the heart of Hollywood. We've been speaking with the actors and director of the new film, BPM, Beats Per Minute. We'll return to that conversation in just a moment, but first, this week's book recommendation. So, we are lucky enough to have Nathan Englander back in the studio with us today to do a book recommendation. Nathan, what book are you going to recommend? Oh, it's so good to see you both. I'm going to recommend two because I can't be controlled. <laughs> Perfect. Recommend well, two. Yeah, I've been on tour a lot lately but then everyone's like nathan your five favorite summer salads i have to pick a lot Ooh. of favorites and getting to the singular is overwhelming i would also like to hear about your five favorite summer salads. oh excellent <laughs> that's it watermelon <laughs> and feta let's oh, start with that one. it's a nice yeah yeah a little basil anyway oh lauren holmes barbara the slut is just a great collection of short stories and i personally love lauren there's the connected book recommendation but i also do love that book and then it's been really coming to me and I keep talking about it obsessively as fiction person every once in a while I have these non-fiction moments or maybe it's getting older it's like a dad book thing I'll start carrying presidential biographies but Bronwyn yeah, yeah exactly Bronwyn Dickey it's called Pitbull I don't have a Pitbull I have a giant black mutt and who is Pitbull by? Bronwyn Dickey is the Bronwyn name Bronwyn Dickey is yes the and uh, okay. oh it's just this giant exploration of like the history and perceptions of the pit bull and I got really obsessed with it and really can't stop no matter what anyone asks me I'm like have you read pit bull um, it's really <laughs> stayed in my head oh. I find it both fascinating and really calming suddenly I'm like I am greatly concerned with the definition of the American pit bull terrier okay and how did you find this book and what made you start reading it when you start writing the first book had they said to me like we'll give you any 20 books in exchange for yours i was like 20 to 1 i'll do it yeah i was at the publisher yeah i always make a pass by the coffee machine in the book room i was like what do we have here my oh. yeah someone at the publisher was like you're dog obsessed person you might like this and i did oh and what about it is calming to you besides the fact that dogs are lovable and wonderful creatures and are inherently calming I think back to our modern world and uh, the willful destruction of everything I have known as America my whole life until now, <laughs> I find it very hard to disappear into things more than usual. And it's a book I kept, you know, disappearing into. Interesting. And do you think you will get a pit bull? 
at least one. <laughs> Callie the dog's plenty for me right Callie now. Callie the dog it sounds very cute. Yes. Okay, tell us about the two books that you recommended. What's the title again? Barbara the Slut, Lauren Holmes. Just love these stories. A, I feel like back to the way books shape now that it very easily could have been linked stories forced into that or like these women, you know, they're very different to me, but someone could have been like, oh, like, let's make them all the same age and make them morph into one person. But they're, yeah, singular stories about a certain time and a certain age, quite fictionalized. Lauren's got a wonderfully kooky head. I love her kooky world. <laughs> By the way, she was my student, and I like this part because when she was my student, I was her teacher's like, I want to write a, a story from the point of view of a dog. And I was like, no, we have no time in workshop. <laughs> like, you don't have the skills, you know? And I was like, I love the writing life. Like, she just hammered. I'll be like, you're brilliant. But like seven years later, she wrote, it's like maybe my favorite story in the book, but it's like really? total dog point of view and I was like Mwah, you're a dog genius so there's two dog related <laughs> recommendations two dog related recommendations and Pitbull again is by Bronwyn Dickey so Pitbull by Bronwyn Dickey and Barbara the Slut by Lauren Holmes yes exactly. thanks Nathan it's good to see you guys again you've both grown <laughs> all right You are listening to the LARB Radio Hour. We now return to our conversation about BPM, a new film about the heady days of 90s AIDS activism in Paris with director Robin Campillo and actors Nahuel Perez Vizcayar and Arnaud Valois. So to shift back a little bit, both the pleasure that you're both talking about with regard to being part of ACT UP, that it's like, you know, you really think that things are going to happen. You're pushing against something to make it happen. There are also a number of scenes that are kind of about the dance floor and just actually about pleasure, right? It, it's sexual, yeah, but it's also just about music and having fun and being with your friends. And I'm wondering, is there is that a particularly kind of queer aesthetics of activism? Because to me, like queer life is oftentimes about taking an impossible situation and throwing glitter all over it, right? Yeah. And making it like fabulous and in some ways like creating your own world against the world that yeah. you're fighting yeah. to survive in, right? Yeah. So like, can you talk about the importance of kind of music and dance and celebration at a time of incredible tragedy? It's It was before the tragedy, in fact, you know, because I, I think it's, uh, let's put it like this. If we were trying to survive, it's not only because we wanted a job, we wanted a life. Mm. It's because we had fun, because we were young and we were very good at having fun. Yeah. And that's, <laughs> that was, yeah. this disease was not fair because we shouldn't die because we were so young and we were so happy to dance, to have sex, to take drugs, all those things, you know. So mm. it, was, it's a, it was a part of the political view of our lives you know it's not okay. a, for, for me it's it's it was something very important but at the same time in the film i try to show because i like i don't go clubbing now but i like the the idea i i, I for me clubs are like cinemas in fact you mm, know because yeah. you don't know why people are getting into these dark places together and they look at uh, uh you know, light phenomenons, and that's something very weird, in fact. And I love this idea because, uh, you know, it's kind of place you are like cinema, you go together, but everyone is alone. 
it's, it's if yeah. it, everyone yeah. is on his own and I, I want to, well for I, a while for a while <laughs> hopefully and uh, <laughs> so it's yes and also the people you know in reality and you the other militants because they are in the, in the in the club their body their attitude their personality becomes different and they are more sexy and they are it's different they have become strangers and I love mm. this idea and so it was something I wanted to show it's a very specific dimension of the film I think the different uh, club scenes are very different I think in the film and at the end the last uh, club scene everyone is very alone everyone is very on his own after the death that's true yeah. and it's something it's like a gospel scene and i love this idea and we did this scene in the middle of the the shooting and the the the, the, the actors not now well because he's not here anymore but uh, uh, the, the, sure. but he saw i think the scene and uh, the shooting because he was here on the shooting you know all the actors discovered the music of the film because they dance on the real music mm -hmm. and it was a very moving scene to shoot because people because they were dancing like for two days or three days and they realized that this scene was so different that mm. it was something else and i liked the fact that i tried to put this scene we are which don't, don't look so significant but it changed emotionally sensually mm -hmm. the visions of the character the visions the yeah the emotions of the spectator and that was something very very important to me so it's at the same time something which was very political for us at the time and because of the house music we fought with Didier Lestrade who was the founder of Act in Paris mm -hmm. you know and he was um, a musical journalist Uh, we thought this music was a soundtrack of the epidemic, you know, because mm. it was at the same time very funny, but you, yeah, there was some kind of melancholy of, um, it was a little bit anguished. I don't know mm -hmm. how to say that. No, yeah. And, and well, was, it's a very 90s musical aesthetic. Exactly, for sure. exactly. Yeah. And so I wanted to capture this um, this very weird atmosphere in, the, in this music that was very important uh, for us. Something that I, I've... Um, What also occurred to me is that, you know, especially in Puritan America, yeah. the the French get a very uh, a reputation as sexually liberal, yeah. right? But in fact, it's it's a relatively conservative society. It's Catholic. Yeah. Um, it is largely uh, still pretty mm. uh, Catholic and conservative. But has the relationship? Have you seen the relationship to uh, by with French society at large or the country at large change? to the kind of work that you were doing and what is it like now in terms of having an active gay life in France? It's, um, it's you know, I think Puritanism is different uh, in every country, but uh -huh. it does exist, in fact, <laughs> yeah. in different ways. In fact, so that's the, 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 the thing is, of course, it's, uh, for instance, it's easier in France to represent sex scene in cinema. Mm -hmm. you know, that's true. Right. You have a lot of things like see, which, has, which are more liberal, of course. But uh, as I would say now, it's... Um, You, we had a few years ago the, the, all this Catholic movement against the gay marriage that mm -hmm. I'm sure you, you heard about, and you have like one million or quite two million people in the street. Half a million? Half a million? No, wow. uh, it's not. It's not so million. Half a million, which which is a lot. But we, we are very good at demonstration in France. You are very good. Consider that, yeah. And, and, and but it's for me, it's. Um, It was the last time for them, 
Mm-hmm. You know, oh, I see. I yeah. think they they lost the the struggle, and that's fun. Really. Yeah, on and, gay marriage and gay marriage, but, but it's it's. Uh, I think it's. I have this feeling that things are getting better for gay and lesbian in France uh, yeah. from the the beginning of the 80s, but it's not so cool about the transsexual. It's, mm-hmm. I, I don't think it's mm. so open on the, all the, a lot of uh, things. And uh, of course, you know, it's like I have this feeling that I'm not sure the women's rights as, how can I say, they, they, they are not better than 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. You know, I think yeah. it's still something which is not working so well in France. You know, when you see that uh, we have a lot of uh, French direct, uh, female directors in France, that's true, but they don't get so much in festivals, you know, mm-hmm. as... Uh, so Interesting, yeah. That's, uh, you, uh, that's a big problem that doesn't seem to change, you know, and mm-hmm. you have also... Uh, racial issues which are very right. important right. and uh, 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 Islamophobia and uh, all those things are very important in, in France and so um, yes I, I would say gay and lesbian are not the worst I mean the, we we it's are better. okay but I think it's very fragile mm-hmm. at the same time you know when you yeah. see w- what Trump can do in your country and mm-hmm. can, right ban trans from the army you know it's like taking back rights uh, th- that taking back rights in France it's very difficult you know? yeah not for, as difficult here yeah, yeah. For, for instance almost, for, impossible. almost impossible for instance gay marriage you cannot if you know they decide to to, to, to stop the gay marriage it's not possible because mm. the, the gay couples or lesbian couples will argue that some gay couples are already married and you, there's a rupture in equality yeah. so you cannot do that it's against the law mm-hmm. so it's against the constitution the constitution yeah right just to kind of wrap up here when i was growing up largely in the late 80s and the early 90s the specter of HIV AIDS mostly loomed in our imagination as like young gay people who may or might not have known about their sexuality mm. as sex was death, right? Yeah. Um, and that was obviously what ACT UP was going against with the I silence think. equals death. Yeah. Do you think that the kind of HIV AIDS story today resonates in an era of Truvada and PrEP when we actually are so fortunate to have all of these like medications and preventative measures? Um, Like kind of how do you think HIV AIDS resonates for kind of younger gay people today? Well, obviously, I'm not young, and that's very <laughs> difficult to know what's going on in the head of what, what can, can I say? You know, for instance, me, I'm a very condom guy because you know condoms right. are just like a new sexual rev- uh, revolution mm-hmm. to me mm-hmm. because it was like you, c- you cannot imagine so it's a, I knew sex before AIDS mm-hmm. right it, right it's, it's so for, for me it's like a fantasy you know mm-hmm. it's like the age of innocence you know where when I mean innocence it's where we were so unconscious of everything you know so it was like I, I can it's I will have always the nostalgia Mm-hmm. Right. This time. right. That's true. And after, uh, yes, we had to struggle all the time to say, no, the problem is not sex. Sex is not death. It's mm-hmm. Because and it's still here, this notion, you know, Eros and Thanatos and all this right. uh, mm-hmm. crap. And so it's uh, no, but even in <laughs> some true, French yeah. films. Yeah. So, so yeah. Uh, 
that's a, a big problem. So for me, come down were such a, re a revelation because I didn't have to ask my partners if they were positive, negative. That there, there was no point. So that was a real revolution. So when prep arrived and all those things, I we we were very reluctant. I mean, especially because we we, we knew well, your relationship with the medical establishment had also not given you faith that when they were <laughs> exactly. giving you drugs, exactly. that they were but, not going to kill you. Know, also, even when you have the first uh, th three, uh, three therapies, you know, mm -hmm. people were dying because the, the, the side effects were a little yeah. bit um, uh, not so well known, you know. Yeah. So, but now, as you say, you know, I'm I'm um, I'm amazed because really that. The, the medication, the fact that p people who are under medication uh, cannot transmit uh, the, the virus when the, they are undetectable. I don't know how to say that. Uh, that's a very important thing that you can have the prep, you can have... All, right. You have a lot of tools yeah. that we didn't have. And uh, it's, it's very strange because I think people of my genera generation should be amazed <laughs> much more yeah. about what's going on. But the thing is, you know, I because I... I we were not heroes, of course. We were just trying to live our life, and I didn't do it well when I was mm. young, you know? I, the only thing is I'm very thankful for people who created ACT UP because it was a window that I took, you know, that I, I, I could be part of this group and for a while. And it's not, it's just a small movement that I did, you know, a small difference that I made with my life that was huge. Yeah. For a lot of reasons, so it was, we were not ill. We were just people we und who understood a few things that we that was that were crucial at the time. I think that. So I'm not going to lecture young gay men ab right. about all that because I know that it's complicated. I know that, but I have this feeling. For instance, in France, we are a lot of people are saying that uh, young gay men have forgotten that they, they, they don't care. They are not afraid. Mm -hmm. I think. They are afraid, but they, are, they don't have the space to say it because people like us went through a much more terrible right. Uh, right. epidemic. So they feel m maybe like you that we are so huge and so heroic or I don't know. Right. And, but it's not true. I think, you know, it's uh, uh, I don't know. But in France, there, there are a lot of drugs involved in sexual relationship between young gay guys and i think that sure some, here as well is that for sure, some yeah. kind of fear i think really mm. and uh, we should talk about that more but it's i i don't say that one more time to give lessons because i that's the way people young gay people are living their life today i mean it's a generality not all the gay men are like this but it happens a lot of time so i'm very I think when I did this film, I was more learning from them than I was t teaching them. You know, it's uh, it's both ways, and it's it's something that was very inspiring for me. But uh, I'm not in the mind of young gays. Well, nonetheless, one final question is. Um Given that you are one of the people that survived mm. a time when many, many, we lost an incredible amount of an entire gay generation, mm. right? And all of that culture and history. Like, what do you want the legacy of that period, both the struggle, the people that you were with, that queer culture, both in Paris, but also, you know, kind of worldwide, okay. to be as a kind of cultural inheritance for contemporary gay culture? Like, what do you think that, what do you wish that they would still remember? Uh, that we had fun. 
Yeah, you know, but it's really politically very important. It's mm-hmm. it's not just to you know. I was talking about uh, sooner about the fact that we were very inspired by a very uh, feminist slogan from the '68 revolution in France, and this slogan was uh, saying, uh, "Nous mourrons de n'être pas assez ridicule." We are dying of not being ridiculous enough, you know. Mm. And for me, that's something which is could be the the queer culture should be that slogan you know for me that's very that's very important because we were we had some distance with ourselves you know and we mm-hmm. were not getting so, too serious because we knew that politicians and uh, people from the the agencies and from the uh, pharmaceutical industry serious for them meaning was meaning being a little bit indifferent and mm-hmm. we didn't want that at all okay <laughs> Thank you so much. This has been a wonderful conversation. Thank We've you been very speaking much. with uh, Robin Campillo, the director of the new film BPM, Batement par Minute. And we've <laughs> been speaking with the two lead actors as well, Nahuel Perez Biscayar and Arnaud Valois. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thank You've been listening to the LARB Radio Hour. Subscribe to our podcast in iTunes, SoundCloud, or Stitcher. If you like the show, leave us a comment and tell us what you think. The LARB Radio Hour's executive producers are Eric Newman, Medea Ocher, and Kate Wolf. Our engineer is Lyra Smith. Our researcher is Chloe Chap. Production assistance is provided by William Broaden, Eleanor Duke, and Jake Levins. Our interns, Samson Amore, Natasha Boyd, and Joaquin Perez. Special thanks to Alan Minsky, who is no one's moral conscience, for production assistance, and to Emerson College for the use of their beautiful recording studios in the heart of Hollywood. Tom Lutz is the editor-in-chief and publisher of the Los Angeles Review of Books. I'm Eric Newman. Thanks for listening to the LARV Radio Hour. (laughs) 